As always, it's, uh, it's good to be with you all this morning. My name is Jamin, and I am the directional pastor here at Christ City. Uh, before, we, before we jump into the, the sermon this morning, um, I just, my, my heart is, is pretty heavy, uh, and uh, there's, there's a number of events, and I've got, um, my, my oldest son has got really sick. He's, he's starting to feel better. He, he threw up probably about 10, 12 times uh, Friday night to the, the end of the day yesterday, but he's, he's doing better now, but they're at home. But um, many of you probably heard about the, uh, the plane crash uh, and, and uh, uh, fellow, fellow ministers out at Harvest Church and, and several, several folks lost their lives. And um, the, the pastor of Harvest, Cannon, is he's, he's not doing that great. Um, last, last I heard. So that's heavy. That's heavy on my heart, as well as uh, uh, the, this latest situation in Memphis with, uh, with the young man, Tyree Nichols, who, who died as a result of things that happened in police custody. And, um, you know, that's, that's, really, that's really close to home. Uh, these kind of things uh, happen in, in, in Memphis in this way. And um, many of you might not know this, we're partners with the organization MICA, and, um, and last fall they, they asked me, they nominated me and, and voted for me to become the, the clergy caucus, clergy and nonprofit caucus leader. And so I'm right kind of in the middle of all of, all of this stuff, and, um, and there's, uh, it's, it doesn't look good, so they're releasing a video of what happened, and um, obviously lots of people uh, higher up have seen this video, and they, they, know, they know what it's like, and it's, it's not going to be good. And so those things are just really heavy uh, on my heart, and I just I wanted to share that with you all, and, and I wanted to just pray for the families of, of the, the, the leaders of Harvest and of Tyree Nichols, and I also, I mean, I want to, you know, I saw the, the pictures of the police officers who have been, have been fired. And uh, I, I want to pray for, for them as well and, and the city um, as a whole. Uh, there is, there are moments and times in which we can kind of have these epiphanies. Oh, yeah, like the series we're in right now of the kind of the, the fragility of life, but also kind of the importance of what we do with our lives and the time that we have. And for me, that's, that's this morning, that's this moment, that's this weekend, and, um, and, and I, I'm just carrying a lot of weight right now. And I want to pray, and I want you all to pray with me in, in spirit and, and, and in your hearts as I lift, lift these things up. So, Lord, right now, I pray for the families of the leaders of Harvest. I pray for, um, for Kenan's family and, and the other men um, that, uh, that are, are gone. They've lost their lives. And I pray that you would bring a, a deep healing and comfort as they grieve and as, as they mourn an unexpected loss. And we, not many of us know, uh, know many of those folks or that church, and we're we're very different and in very different parts of the city, um, but nonetheless, they're brothers and sisters in faith, and so we lift them up to you and, and we pray that you would give them all that they need as we just sang and prayed about um, you being our good shepherd. And pray for healing for Ken, and I pray that you would, uh, that you would restore him to, to health. 
And I also wanna lift up the family of Tyree Nichols having lost their adult child, 25 years old, I believe, or maybe 27. And uh, I, pray, I pray that in the confusion, in, in, in the discomfort, in the pressure of being in the media and the national news and all of these things, that you would be so close to them, that you would be as if you were in their very breath. And I, I pray for uh, justice to be served so often that is, that is not the case in our country when a black man loses his life at the hands of police officers in these types of circumstances. I pray for all of us. I pray that we would be willing to do our, our part to see Memphis become a more just place. I pray that we would take seriously the responsibility of the life that was given to us and the responsibility to see your kingdom come more and more to, to, to this earth, to this city, um, to, to the families involved in this, to our police department, to the culture of our city. God, I pray that you would move powerfully among the clergy and the nonprofit leaders. I pray that, um, that people would, would pay attention, that they would desire uh, shalom, deep justice, the way that you describe it, where the marginalized are cared for and uplifted, and the proud and the mighty who abuse their power are brought low. This is the ministry that Jesus came that was inaugurated in Mary's song and prayer when she realized who she was giving birth to. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for praying with me about that. This morning we are in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. And it can be found on page 797 in your Black Pewback Bible. 797, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. And uh, once you have found that passage in your preferred Bible, if you are able, please stand for the reading of the word. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. Hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> I want to pray one more time. Uh, Lord, be with us in the word this morning. May you use it as an agent of transformation in our hearts and our lives. Would you give us whatever epiphany we need to have this morning? Amen. 
So yeah, we're, uh, we're in the third part of a series called Epiphany, and we've celebrated a couple of weeks ago uh, the day or the event of Epiphany when Jesus was revealed as the Son of God to the Gentiles and later in his baptism uh, to the Jews and the rest of the world. And this series that we're in is about change. When you have an epiphany, it means that in a sudden moment, reality becomes different for you. That there might not be anything that looks different to anybody else, but the way you are perceiving the world around you, the events taking place, have now taken on a different meaning and a different effect in your life. And that's really important because we live in a world full of volatility, full of unexpected change, full of new information coming like a waterfall at us all the time. And if we're unable to handle change, the kind of change that challenges our perception of the world, that's going to affect our entire lives. It's going to affect our spirituality. It's going to impact our relationships. And I don't know about you, but I, I get really tired of the amount of change that I experience in life. And, and when I don't handle that well, I can resort to fear and even denial of some of those things, just kind of the ostrich one to stick uh, stick his or her head in the sand. But I think that in order for us to live the life, the kind of life that we all want to live, a flexible, generous life, full of love, full of patience, full of care, full of justice, that we have to examine how we handle change. Because if we choose the path of fear and denial, we'll find ourselves living a, a small life, a petty life, a life defined by fear, defined by um, the things that uh, we cannot or will not face. So as we are in this series, what I want us to be able to do is think about change and how we can receive change and how if we have an openness to that change, that we're more likely to experience the epiphanies that will change our perception of the world for good, that we'll be able to see the kingdom of heaven at work, that we'll be able to impact relationships in ways that are productive and helpful. So the first week we did that, we examined uh, a passage in Ephesians and we saw that for Paul, the dividing line in history was this epiphany that Jesus was in fact the son of God. And we talked about our dividing lines in history, the things that cause us to perceive the world that we do, that we all have them. And that denying that we have been shaped by those experiences actually closes us off to the epiphanies that we need, that we need to experience to see God for who God is. And then last week, we talked about the biggest thing in your life, and that the biggest thing in your life was, in fact, the uppercase L life, 
that when we serve ourselves, that when we find ourselves doing only things to make sure that we uh, can feel great about ourselves as the strongest or the wisest or the prettiest or uh, the best parent or the best worker or the toughest or whatever it may be, that we'll find ourselves in a dead end of meaning. And that it's only that when we can be caught up in that big L, that big uppercase life that Jesus offers us, that transcends ourself, that lets us belong to something bigger than us, that we can truly have an impact in our relationships and in our world, that we can truly see the kingdom of heaven coming down and mingling in our broken world. And this morning, as we look at this passage in, in Matthew 16, the title of the sermon is called The Thing You Already Know. The Thing You Already Know, because oftentimes epiphanies, these strikes of, of meaning that change our perception are not actually something that we don't know. It's just something we've, we've, we haven't quite become fully aware of. How, how many of you have ever tried to keep yourself from knowing something that you, that you actually do know? And I already see nodding heads. It's like, it's so, it's so common, you know? And the first thing that popped into my mind is men going to the doctor. You know, statistically, men go to the doctor way, way less than women do. You want to know why that is? Because if we don't know, then we don't have to deal with it. Right? We're like, ah, oh, it's just, you know, it'll, it'll work itself out, you know? And that's why men have a lower life expectancy than women do. It's like, oh, it's probably just some <clears throat> indigestion, you know? Couldn't be the heart, right? And so, so we keep our things, ourselves from knowing things that we already kind of know, that we, we really do have some kind of health problem brewing. But hey, if we convince ourselves it's not there, maybe it'll just go away. There is this connection with that and change as well, though, because I've, I've found as, as I've, I've, I've studied myself and other, other human beings, that we don't just do this with bad things, that sometimes we're also afraid of the good, that we're also afraid of making ourselves, releasing the denial or the fear or whatever it is about something good that we kind of know is brewing inside of us because it would mean some kind of change. And the change would mean dealing with something we're unfamiliar with and uncomfortable with. And so we sit in this space of, of choosing to try to crowd out something that we already know out of our life because we're afraid of how that change might impact our reality. Anybody out there? Anybody relate to that? It's really interesting because uh, when we're born, we're born... At least this is what neuroscientists tell us, but you can observe it. When we're born, we're born really knowing what we feel and what we need. And we reach out for those things. Even a tiny baby is aware when they're afraid, when they're lonely, when they're sad, when they're angry. But their brains 
are not fully formed. They haven't even fully formed the front part of their brain that, that uh, neuroscientists tell us isn't fully developed until 25. That explains a lot, right? And, and so we're, we know that we need things even though we don't know the rationale behind it. We don't even have the words for it. What, what I'm trying to say is it is a human condition from birth to be aware and to know things that we, that we don't actually, can't actually articulate or explain or even become fully aware of. And God's like this. That as much as a preacher like myself or any other preacher would like to be able to communicate from the stage with really good ideas and intellect exactly who and what God is, there are things that are known about God that are known about the divine that cannot be articulated with mere words and symbols. There is a, a deep sense of knowing that is connected to us as human beings. In fact, there is such a deep desire for us to connect to things bigger than ourselves, to something that is divine, that um, I have seen I have seen more than once in my life somebody go from articulating to me why they are an atheist, why they do not believe in God, and a few questions later saying, I would like to pray right now to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Last week I talked about, in the beginning of the sermon, that I wanted to write a book. Remember that? You were here? Remember that? And I talked about that the reason why I found in my late 20s that I wanted to write a book was because I wanted to kind of like prove to myself that I was really smart or that I had something really, really great to contribute. And then there's nothing wrong with that reason unless you stay there your whole life and it becomes a problem. So I wanna let you know that at 40, I still wanna write a book but I have a really different reason for wanting to do that. It's because I think I have this gnawing feeling that there are things that I know that I'm not just, I can't, I'm not fully aware of. And if I was to spend that time in quietness with myself and with the spirit of God with me, and I was just to write and write and think and write and be open to what might be swirling around there that I would learn something that I already know. So as we, as we go to this passage this morning, what, what I want us to be able to be encouraged by and, and, and to see is that there are probably things, I, I, would, I, would, I would stake a lot on this, that there are things inside of you that you were maybe even born with that God has put inside of you truths that you are not fully aware of, that maybe that God wants to pull out of you. And for some of you, that might just even be in the place you're in right now. Now, the moment that you're in right now is that God is real and active and wants to be involved in your life. I think everybody knows that on some level. I think everybody longs for that on some level. And so let's start here in... Uh, verse 13, chapter 16, verse 13. 
It says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Son of man is, was Jesus's title for himself. Now this place that they're in, Caesarea Philippi, is a really interesting place for Jesus to be asking his disciples these, this question because uh, this city is way, way north on the very edge of Galilee where Jesus is from and where his, his ministry took place. And it's this site of, of this huge uh, tributary of water that feeds the Jordan. And, and there's this giant cave that's there that was actually thought to be uh, in ancient times a, a, a path into the underworld, into, into Hades. And, and it was a place that was a tiny little town that actually Herod, who wanted to, Herod, the, the Jewish king who wanted to find Jesus and kill him as a baby, his son has built this place up into quite a majestic city, quite an amazing place. And not only that, but there are all around this city, there are uh, different temples to gods, maybe as many as 14 different temples to Syrian gods and to Greek gods. And um, so this, this place had a deep spiritual and political importance to it. To be there and for the disciples to be there, they would have been overwhelmed by the political and religious messages all around them, circling around them. They might, may have been a little bit frightened because there were quite a few uh, risque things for a good little Jewish boy growing up in Galilee that they are maybe seeing in this environment. And Jesus brings them there. He brings them th there and asks this really big question. Who do people say that the son of man, me, who, who do they say that I am in the midst of all of this chaos of information? This is kind of like, we, we kind of like live perpetually in, in Caesarea Philippi, don't we? Don't we live just covered in all types of messages about what could satisfy us, about what could bring meaning to our life. Yeah, if you can pull out a smartphone out of your pocket, then yes, yes, you, that's where you live. That's what's going on in your life. There's an incredible amount of information communicating to us ideas of what might satisfy us. The gods of, of pleasure, of success, of self-help, of white supremacy, of educational prowess, of fame, all types of things. That's just a few of them. And it's in this spot that Jesus is asking them to, to be able to move through all of that cacophony and noise to find something that maybe, maybe, just maybe they already knew. So in verse 14, it says this. After, after Jesus answers that, answers that, asks that question, they replied. So this is all the disciples there and they're, they're kind of just spitballing with Jesus. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And these are all pretty good answers. You know, some of them thought maybe this is just John the Baptist uh, risen from the dead because he was, he was killed. And others, maybe he's Elijah, like this really important uh, prophet or Jeremiah, like another huge 
prophets. So these are really important people um, that, that maybe Jesus is some kind of like reincarnation of them or some kind of second coming of one of these incredible prophets. And that's what other people think. Sometimes, um, sometimes we get to a point in our life where we have been taught for so long that what we think can't be trusted. Anybody grow up like that? Like whatever you have to say, whatever you think, even if, even if you're crying, hey, you shouldn't be crying. Boys don't cry, right? Something like that, message like that, where you're just taught from as young as you can remember not to even trust your own thoughts and your own feelings. And Jesus is, is addressing that in this moment. He's like, hey, we are right here in the center of the most noise there could possibly be in this little world that we all live in, this little little." part of Galilee here. I brought you to the noisiest place with the most difficult amount of messages to sort through. So now what, what, what do you think people think about me? Now, it's not that, it's not that we can't trust or, or value other people's opinions, but here's what can happen to us if we have been taught uh, growing up that we can't trust our own thoughts. We, we can fall prey to all kinds of harmful ideas. We can fall prey to things we are unable, we can enter into situations that are actually harmful to us. Relationships, ideologies, fringe groups, all kinds, you know, QAnon or whatever the things might be at the time. If we're unable to trust our own thoughts and feelings about what's harmful to us. And so when we get to that place, we, we just have to start thinking, well, whose thoughts am I going to trust? Whose thoughts am I going to believe? And we get disoriented in the world that we're in. And, and that's why at Christ City, if you hang around long enough, you'll see that we have a, a really big culture around figuring out what it is exactly that we actually feel, what it is that we actually need, what it is that we're afraid of or glad about or sad about or, or that we feel lonely about something or someone. So here in our church, in our culture, we do something that's scary in a lot of other places in our world, whether it's church or other place, we actually encourage people to say what they think and talk about what you feel. You could be lonely here. You can doubt. You can be glad and be joyful and, and be excited about what God is doing in your life. And you can also say, I don't know if I believe in God today. And that's because, that's because we actually believe that God gave us tools to make sense of the world, that it shouldn't be left just to somebody else, that there's some other Peter or some other saint or some other political leader that's the only one that can do the thinking and we just have to adopt everyone else's thinking. And so Jesus says, he kind of setting it up here, he says, so you know, who, who, who's everybody saying that I am? Now, in some sense, when it comes to these big ideas, we have, to, we have to start off kind of imitating other people's thoughts. 
Because we have to start, we have to start in some of these bigger ideas. We have to kind of start by figuring out what we believe by measuring it against what other people have thought and believed. This is the process of becoming an artist, actually. Pretty much all artists will start out imitating other people's styles. But that's not supposed to be the end point, eh? Some artists make a really good living doing that. But for those of us real artists, yeah, me, um, the, end, the end goal is to find your own voice. Because what happens when an artist or a writer or a dancer or a mom or a dad or anyone at all finds out their true and authentic voice is they bring a passion and a fire to the world that the world needs. And so Jesus says, well, who, who do they say that I am? And they give them the answers. And then in verse 15, he narrows the focus a little bit. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say that I am? Have you ever tried to tell somebody uh, how they should think about something differently than the way they think about it? How about this one, married people? Um, what are you stressed about? Just calm down. Ever said that? Ever said that? Any, any, any of you guys out there are probably the culprit in, in, in a relationship? If we, got, if we got a man and a woman, then it's probably the guy who's saying that. Just calm down, honey. <laughs> Telling somebody else to think something that they don't think they should have to do. That doesn't usually go well, does it? So Jesus is, he's kind of starting big and he's kind of narrowing the focus and he's saying, all right, that's what other people think, but I actually want to know what, what do you think? Who, who do you think that I am? So one of the things I've learned is that we, we can and will adopt ideas that other people have taught us are good ideas. That's actually how you survive as a human being, right? Don't run in the street. Look both ways before you cross. Uh, you know, don't you know, do drugs, right? These kind of things. We don't know these things experientially, but if we didn't have anybody giving us any ideas, we would end up in a lot more trouble or we might not even be sitting in the pew this morning. So thank a parent. You might have issues with your parent right now that you're working through. You need to thank them because they actually helped you to stay alive, right? So, so we, start, we start out there. But at some point, at some point, the way that we want to be able to live our lives with the passion and freedom that expressed in the gospel of Jesus is because of things we've experienced ourselves. That's what we talked about a few weeks ago, Paul experiencing Jesus and, and, and that that experience created a dividing line in his life and, and subsequently in the entire history of the world. I'm not much for convincing people about God, about what I believe about Jesus, but I am one for asking questions because, because I, do think, I do think that somewhere stirring in that mysterious space inside every human being is, is the quality and the shape of the desire to connect with God. 
to connect with the divine. And that it can be called out. I've, I've, I've been thinking about this image in Genesis where it says the spirit of God hovered over the deep, this unformed mass calling things into creation, shaping the world. And I, I, I believe that inside each human being is a space just like that, waiting to be called out, waiting for the spirit of God to bring form and shape to. And I gotta, I gotta be able to talk to somebody about those things because I think, I believe that if I were to talk to them and to ask them some questions about those things and to, and to bring my faith to the table that they might find, they might find that God is in fact speaking to them and go from being someone who does, says they don't believe in anything to a Christian. <laughs> so, verse 16, big mouth, Simon Peter answers. Sometimes, sometimes Peter says, says something he wishes he didn't say. Actually, a little bit later in this passage, he does that. But right now, Hey, Peter's doing good, right? Says Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Sometimes we know things. Sometimes there are things we don't know how we know it. We don't know why we know it, but we know it. And I'm here to tell you right now that there is that intuition, that spiritual intuition, whether or not you've ever trusted it in your life, whether or not you've ever been aware of it in your life, that it exists inside of you. There's a lot of people that don't necessarily want that to be cultivated and to come out of you because that would mean things would change. That means that the city of Memphis would change. That means that unexpected good things would happen. That would mean that we would not be pacified simply by having enough uh, subscriptions to Netflix and Disney Plus and things like that to satiate us into being okay with the status quo in our relationships, in our city, in our justice system, in our school systems. There's a story in, um, in the Gospels, and we're going to look at the Mark's uh, telling of it, about this guy who I think he knew something, but he wanted to ask the question anyway. The rich, the rich young ruler is kind of the dub of, uh, of that that section of scripture in Mark 10, verses 17 through 22. Let's take a look at it real quick. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. That's pretty interesting, I think, that, that kind of response. That sounds like Jesus is, is almost sort of trying to poke it. Do you, who do you think that I am? So verse 19, he says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. It's interesting that he wants to know eternal life but then when Jesus says, keep all the commandments, he said, yeah, I've all, I, I do all that already. It means that there was something inside of that man that didn't actually believe what he was saying and thinking about his own life. There was, there was something else he knew that was gnawing at him. And Jesus looked at him and loved him, it said. 
One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. I just wonder, I wonder about this man, if he already knew the answer before he ever got to Jesus. If he already knew that possessions and wealth had such a hold on his heart And he was just hoping against hope. He was hoping out of that sense of denial that Jesus would give him a way out, another answer to something that he already knew was true inside of him. There are things right now in each of our lives that are holding us back, not from bad, not from from destructive changes in our lives, but from healing in our lives. And we so desperately want somebody and we can find somebody to tell us it's not that thing. So that's why we want to cultivate in our lives a stillness. That's why we want to to do the retreats as Mandy and I were talking last year. We want to do retreats this year. We want to do retreats where people can get away, where they can get away from the noise, they can get away from the cacophony, they can get away from everybody that will tell them what they want to hear and maybe hear from God. It says Jesus looked at him and loved him and delivered to him the thing that he needed to hear. He didn't want to hear it. He wasn't ready for it. Hopefully he did later. Verse 17, Jesus replied to Simon's epiphany. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. There are things inside of us waiting to be revealed by the Spirit of God. If you've, ever, if you've ever thought, oh, I'm, I've gone through this deconstruction or I've gone through these types of things and you're trying to cobble together your spirituality, your life, you're trying to reject things from your childhood and trying to put something back together. And I know that's, that's many of us at Christ City. You're trying to figure out what your faith looks like. That perhaps, perhaps there are things, there's a deeper knowing than just the, the fighting of ideas, Perhaps there is a deeper knowing of who God is and that God wants to reveal those things to you. If you could could get away from all of the noise of all of the having to be right against somebody else, of defining who you are based on what you are not. The sad truth is many religious people take their last breath still with their identity being primarily defined about what they are not. And Jesus says to Peter, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, by human sources, but by God from heaven. In Ecclesiastes 3 verses 11 It says in the middle of this verse, the writer says, he has also set eternity in the human heart. You'll never be satisfied. And and no one around you will be satisfied. Maybe satiated, maybe full, maybe sleepy, maybe uh, 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 fatalistic or jaded 
but not satisfied without God. Never satisfied. The good news is you don't have to get them there with good arguments. But here's what I want us to believe. And you can decide for yourself if you want to believe this with me. To believe that eternity is on the hearts of the people that you walk around and you see. That eternity is in the heart of your spouse or your friend or your uncle or your cousin or the police officers that beat up Tyree and killed him. That eternity is on everyone's hearts. How would you live? How would your life look different if you believe that? Waiting to be called out by the Spirit of God. Another thing I want to say about this, this revelation that Peter had, it wasn't the first revelation of who Jesus was and, and it wouldn't be the last. We need more than one encounter with God. We need to experience that we are the beloved more than one time. What if you only ever told your mama you love her one time? How would that work? Or, or, or your wife or your husband? I already told it to you once. Why do you need to hear it again? We, we need repeated revelations. We need repeated connections with who God is. This concludes with a, a really big verse. And I just want to draw out a couple things in it as we close. Verse 18 and, and, and 19. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. and Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We don't, we don't want change. We, we avoid the epiphanies in our life because we don't want change. Because what is change going to bring? Change is going to bring responsibility. It's going to bring adversity to us. It's already there, but maybe if we ignore it long enough, it'll go away. But it's not going away. It's not. And, and, and when, when Jesus, I mean, when Peter allows allows and opens his heart to this epiphany of who Jesus is in this extremely dangerous place for Jesus and his followers, Jesus then proclaims this thing over Peter. He says right here that you are Peter, which means rock. And he says, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, that thing right over there, that giant open cave with the water coming out of it and all the temples and shrines all around it, that that adversity... Will not, be, will not overcome you. You will not, the, the church that I'm going to build around this understanding of who I am, you can't it, can't, it can't be overcome. So the revelation comes, the epiphany comes with the, ex, the expected thing. The reason we don't want the epiphany, because of the adversity. But we're also in the light of receiving who God is, we get to know more of who we are. You're Peter. Yeah, you're the son of Jonah and I'm the son of God, but it was through God's revelation to you, ordinary old Simon, son of Jonah, that you found something divine, that you found the power that you needed to be who you always thought you could be. 
And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There's a lot of things uh, with this verse and a lot of uh, a Catholic uh, church uh, dogma and doctrine that I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna uh, dabble in uh, this morning. But I do think that there is, a, there is something here for us as we close. Remember in the beginning talked about there's things we try not to know. Not, not just bad things, but good things too. Because sometimes we're, af- we're afraid of the authority that might come with it for us. The responsibility that might come with it. Whether, it, whether it's in our job, whether it's, whether it's in the church, whether it's with a child or in, in our family of origin, whatever it may be that there might be a responsibility to both bind and loose things. That's a big responsibility. But I want to tell you this morning that some of the things that you sort of kind of know, the thing you already kind of know about you, that there's something in there that you were made for more. You were made for more. I want to encourage you to open your heart to that, even as we come to the table this morning, to open your heart to that epiphany. God, show me. God, show me who you are. Show me who I am. More today. More today. I want more. I want, to, I want life to be about more than just me. Let's pray. Spirit of God, I pray that you would be active and present right now inside of us. I pray that our hearts would be opened. I pray that a thing inside of us that we have not wanted to know that you would reveal it to us about ourselves and that your gospel and your kingdom would be more prevalent in our lives because of it. Amen.